Hey guys, just checking in really quick before the episode starts to let you know this is the first one where I have a guest and we're recording through Zoom, my first time using Zoom. So if you're down for the adventure, my guest had a lot of wonderful insight and we had a lot of fun. If you prefer the usual format of just myself with the microphone, I'll be back doing that next week. So either way, it's all good and I super appreciate you being here and let's get into this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode eight of Oh Wow the Podcast, a weekly analysis of every episode of Skins UK starting from the very beginning. I'm your host, Augustine, and today we have a very special guest on the pod, a friend of mine, Felicia Fisher, who is a renowned horror actress and model and jack of many trades in the entertainment industry. So we're really stoked to have her here today. Hi, Felicia. How are you? That is the kindest bio anyone's ever done for me. Thank you. I'm great. And I'm so happy to be here. I fucking love Skins. And I got really excited when I saw that you were doing a Skins podcast. And yeah, it's amazing to be here. Thank you for having me. Did you start watching Skins when it originally aired? Or were you a more recent viewer? You know, I was a Degrassi girl back in the day, (laughs) in part because, um, yeah, I didn't have cable. I didn't really have internet. A lot of people in my life in 2007 were watching Skins. And I know for a fact now watching like Skins as an adult, um, I can see the way that it impacted my peers for sure. But personally, I never watched it until I turned 27 or 26, 26. Yeah, um, I was at a convention and a friend of mine, um, Xenon Universe, was like, dude, we need to watch Skins. Like, you're going to love this, I swear. And we watched a season two episode. I don't want to give too much away. It's a really lovely plot line about a certain character. And yeah, I was hooked. I fucking binged it for the following two weeks and I was all in. I, yeah, I love Skins. I am a late bloomer, though, for sure. (laughs) I'm thinking that a lot of listeners will be really happy to hear a different perspective as everyone's been listening to me talk about myself for almost two months now. So I think a lot of people will relate to getting into it and having more of a reflective perspective on how it shaped our generation, as well as like the younger listeners who are just starting to watch it now, which I find kind of funny because it's like vintage to them. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. I haven't looked too deep into like the current fandom. I kind of skimmed the Reddits like when I first like got into skins. But yeah, are there a lot of younger people that like vibe with the show? They connect with it or like Yeah, there I started on TikTok like last year when the pandemic started and all of these skins edits come up on TikTok and so I was like I need to make a podcast to warn the kids that we went through this and not to take it as an aspirational show. Oh yeah, 100%. Like when I reflect on the show as like a grown person, you know, like watching it for the first time, like 10 years removed from what I was doing with the Skins kids were doing, it's like, this is wild. That was a wild time in history. <laughs> like, right. yeah. It was definitely a parallel of what we all thought was cool and fun at the time. So It's going to be interesting, especially getting into today's episode, uh, which is about Effie and 
So last week we were seeing Tony's house of cards falling apart a bit as he set up Josh with the naked photos of Abigail in his phone, which he texted to Michelle, destroyed that relationship and was basically trying to get Michelle back. So we're continuing into that absolute shit show that he's created. So this episode opens with the Stonums at their dinner table. They're having a family dinner, Tony, Effie, and their mom and dad. So far, we have had a little discussion behind the scenes about the family here, and I wanted to hear your thoughts on the Stoneham family. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. Your show really got me thinking about, like, how the parents affect the kids. Like what ha- you you had said before about um, Cassie's family or like Michelle's family and the dynamics that come into play that you see through the kids. I feel like that's really real in this episode. Like, I think, for, I mean, I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> I just do a lot of research on <laughs> things like this. But um, yeah, like the whole domineering dad thing. Like, I get the impression that their father is really domineering. He's very, he, it's all about him. His mom or like the mom in the situation is being pushed to the side. She's very like submissive, passive to everything, kind of excuses his behavior. And I think like watching it and like watching them acting like that, it makes a lot of sense that Tony's kind of a manipulative piece of shit. And Effie is, I don't know if selectively mute would apply here, but I mean, she hasn't been speaking. She refuses to speak to people, it seems. Yeah, it's it's a very loaded situation that I didn't really pick up until like rewatching it after listening to your podcast. So, yeah, and I thought that was actually a good point that you were sort of saying the gender roles in the family are almost paralleled in the kids where Effie seems to be pretty just disgusted by the whole family and sort of rolling her eyes the whole time um but she's also silent and sort of stays out of the way and tony emulates his father more and just being rude and inconsiderate and just totally bulldozing over everybody else um like you know they're cutting the turkey or whatever that chicken or something at the dinner table and the dad is just telling this really gross story and everyone's clearly disgusted but he doesn't care because he's like I want to tell this story Mm -hmm. (laughs) even though everyone is visibly uncomfortable so we see where Tony learned his wonderful personality (laughs) traits from oh definitely yeah I never realized how fucked up like that situation was until the rewatch too like the dad just being sexually inappropriate at the dinner table and then that situation I think feel like comes up um a couple other times in the episode too and I never realized like the undercurrent of like wow like this family is fucked you know yeah none of the parents have boundaries in this show and they're Mm -hmm. not teaching any sort of boundaries to kids no and I mean with how entrenched everyone's like lives are with each other I guess it like reflects in the kids too right it's wild Effie sneaks out of the house, which I don't blame her for because I would want to get out of there too. It's just so uncomfortable. And Tony watches her sneak out, so he knows she's going out. So Tony tries calling Chris. We see that he's being isolated from the friend group. This is the consequence of all of his outrageous actions in the past few episodes. He tries calling Sid. Sid's not answering. Maxie, Jal, no one's answering his calls. 
And what do you think about no one talking to Tony at this point? I mean, honestly, like it feels like it's earned considering the last episode. I don't know. I feel like this is a consequence. Like, it isn't just him being, like, isolated. It's, like, a consequence of his actions directly, which he doesn't seem to experience very often. So, like, it's like reality is finally hitting him that, hey, maybe you shouldn't be a piece of shit. But I guess we'll see if he manipulates himself out of it. Spoiler. <laughs> so. <laughs> right. Right. I Definitely, you see in Tony's facial expressions that he never thought this would be possible. And I've honestly been in that place before. I think sometimes, I mean, we've all maybe been shitty to people, done something shitty in a friend group at the very least. And it takes everyone sort of icing you out to realize that you are the problem and it's yeah. not everyone else who's the problem. Totally. <laughs> Once you hit that point, you realize, okay, I got to make a change. So I'm hoping Tony is getting that in his head of, okay, I need to make a change. Mm-hmm. Um, so then Effie is on the bus with her friend who is extremely grating to my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> the writers knew exactly who they were basing that off of when they wrote that, I feel. Like, that's, like, the epitome of, like, annoying teen girlfriend trying so hard to, like, be cool to the cool girl. Like, it's insane. Yeah, I couldn't stand watching her, but it also really shows the contrast between Effie, who one of the major things is we're supposed to pick up that Effie isn't talking, and Mm -hmm. this girl is talking so much, uh, so that makes up for the dead air that would otherwise be there. Um, They get to this warehouse type of thing, and I've never been to a warehouse party or anything like that, have you? (laughs) Um, nothing where the warehouse still was a functioning warehouse, honestly. Um, yeah, that scene was so cool. I really, I I think it's really interesting what the people did with the show where, like, it's obvious that Effie loves to play and, like, her friend, like, loves to play and everyone loves to play. And, like, thinking about it, it's like, they're kids. They should be playing right now, you know? Like, it's really interesting how, like, they were put into that situation. Like, they did all the sneaking out and stuff where some people would go and get, like, fucked up and, like, go, like, hang out somewhere. They're, like, actually playing, like, kids. I don't know. I don't know if that was intentional or something like that. I don't know if I'm, like, looking too deep into it. But I think that's a good point. Yeah. When I first watched this, I thought that Effie was really in control and she was like the boss bitch but yeah when you rewatch you just think oh she's literally a kid and getting herself in these situations that can escalate really quickly as we'll see but it starts out pretty innocently here yeah Yeah, in this portion um after they've been at the warehouse for a little they do meet spencer and spencer spencer is dressed like many people that i saw in the U.S. in the rave scene in that era, like 2009-ish, 2010, just like the neon fucking colored scarf, the neon colored hoodie, the sunglasses, the cheap $2 Ray-Bans in the club. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, this is truly a time capsule moment, I feel, in the show. Like, watching this really brought me back, especially Effie's outfits. Like, for the older members of the audience if you remember when hot topic turned the lights on and started bringing in all the scene clothes and stuff in like 2007 this is happy like dressing full like 
that was everywhere. Like the striped tights, like striped tights, converse, poofy skirt, spiderweb cutout shirt, glittery eyeliner. Like that was a lot of places then. Yeah, it was, it's very surreal to see that and be like, wow, people used to dress like this. I really wonder if it's ever going to come back too. Strangely, like, I've seen some of the kids on TikTok wearing the old, and they'll post uh, videos that are like, imagine growing up during this time. I'm so jealous. And yeah. all the comments are like, I mean, it's hard to say anything negative about it because it was fun, honestly, and it was an iconic <laughs> fashion time. So it's hard to dispute it. Um, did you, so you said you were going to raves uh, mm-hmm. in the early 2010s type era. I was never a raver so I'm just interested in hearing your thoughts and experiences with that yeah I mean it was very reminiscent of what I saw in skins which was very crazy um I grew up in a city in the midwest and there was a pretty hefty rave scene like underground parties and stuff like that that would be held at places like this like warehouses lofts like sometimes like banquet halls and stuff they would rent out so the fact that they kind of getting ahead of it but like the fact that they're doing like the party in a warehouse and later on in the episode they are having a party in like the sports club or whatever is like very reminiscent of what was going on in the U.S. around that time too when it comes to like underground parties I feel like at that time um Ravy became really mainstream as well which makes me wonder if that's something that was impacted by the show because like yeah, there later on in the episode, there's a lot of dubstep um, playing throughout it, which got really big during that time frame. The artists in particular they have on the um, in the series with the music, uh, Scream is pretty well known for like making dubstep hit like the mainstream. I don't know. Um, yeah, it was a very wild time. The whole dynamic of like young girls and older guys is very prevalent then too. I think it's like that in every rave scene, honestly. Um, young people doing mystery chemicals they don't necessarily know what they are very prevalent I feel like the show when you look at the party scenes in the episode they don't really glamorize it and I think that's like they don't glamorize it because that's what it's like sometimes you're in a room and there's like 10 people and there's like neon lights and people dancing and stuff like that but it's like why are we celebrating? Like, why are we here? Like, this is kind of sad. You look around the room, there aren't that many people here right now and everyone's just on drugs. Like, you know? Right. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. I'm really happy to have your experiences and why I particularly wanted you to come on this episode um, Mm -hmm. because I grew up in New England and the closest thing we had to this was barn parties, which is definitely (laughs) a different thing. And was not the same. I watched this show wishing that I could be part of the like neon rave scene. And um, as we're recording this episode in Chicago, which is very well known for sort of the house music explosion in the United States. So it's an interesting episode to have you on to talk about this, especially when we get to the next party, which we'll get to. Spencer and Effie are on this hanging rope type platform at the warehouse they have some sort of pill that they're making out and exchanging these chemical kisses so romantic and the cops show up obviously they're not allowed to be there so the cops come they're getting in trouble we cut to tony tony's just walking around the city even kenny selling newspapers on the side of the road tells tony to fuck off because he's got a family to get back to. So Tony's very dejected 
And he ends up sitting on a bench, getting a call from the police that Effie is at the station. He can go pick her up. Obviously, he's scared. He cares a lot about Effie. He would never just leave her hanging. And that is one of the big things in this episode as we really see Tony's devotion and care for Effie. So he goes down to the station to pick her up. She's already been out on bail from her friends letting her out. And he sees her getting sort of pushed into a van. She's clearly intoxicated, so she's kind of stumbling along with it. He's like yelling out, Effie, Effie. He gets side tackled onto the ground. Effie's in the van and they're going. So now Effie's being sort of kidnapped by her friends. I think she's sort of going along with it, but also has no idea what's really going on. Yeah, you know, I never caught that until you said that. And like, in retrospect, it's like, this is fucked up, dude. Like, she literally is on drugs, got arrested, very disorienting situation. One of her friends bails her out. She just gets shoved in a van, does other drugs. They smoke some um pink crystals off of weed, it looks like. They all get fucked up and she just goes along to the next party. Yeah, it's very surreal. She's basically kidnapped. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, I didn't really notice until I rewatched. Again, I always came from the perspective of, oh, Effie's in control. She knows what she's doing. And then you see, uh, not really. She is getting sort of manhandled into the back of a van here. So she's just being handed drugs. It's a really dangerous situation. And it makes me a lot more scared for her than I used to be when I watched the show. Yeah. Yeah, you know, as someone who was in similar situations at a certain point in time in my life, in my youth, like, I feel like, yeah, fucking hindsight is twenty twenty, man. Like, it's crazy to, like, see it like this and be like, that's actually not cool. It seems very glamorous in the moment, like, driving around with the older kids and, like, getting fucked up and going on all these adventures. But then it's also like, who are these people? You know, there's times I think, especially I used to, you know, growing up in New England, I would go camping in the middle of the woods in the middle of the night with strangers doing random drugs. And there are so many times that I just have to feel blessed that I'm alive because don't go to the middle of the woods with strangers and do drugs. Don't, you know, go into a van with these people who are getting you high on random drugs. It is so obviously dangerous, but when you're doing it in the moment, you feel like you're in control. Yeah. So we cut to Chris's house where everyone is just chilling. They're sort of the antithesis of the chaos that's happening with Tony and Effie. They're building a pyramid out of sugar cubes. And Tony shows up frantic, looking for help, and he's also being a dick to everybody still. Did you notice? (laughs) Yeah, no, he has, like, this little attitude with everybody, and I feel like it's established that Michelle set a boundary because he's calling it, like, their divorce now. So, like, Michelle has boundaries around him being around, and obviously, like, he's just fucking walking in and doing whatever the fuck he wants. He's so rude to everybody. Still, you would think he would have a little humility, but no, the ego is still going strong. And he does manage to get Sid pulled to the side to help him look for Effie because Sid is still at the point of pretty much doing what Tony wants. And also Sid knows Effie and kind of, I think, knows that Tony wouldn't make anything up about this. So he's the one who's going to take it the most seriously. Tony and Sid are out looking for Effie. Sid thinks he sees Cassie when they're out and about. 
we're not sure if that's real or not. That'll come up later in the episode. They decide to take Sid's dad's car around to go look for Effie. Tony's panicking. He doesn't know where she is. The closest hint we get is when Josh is driving down the street. He sees Michelle and Jal walking home. And he tries to pick them up to go to the party with him, but they say no because Michelle is still pissed at Josh and disgusted by him. She doesn't believe that he was set up with the photos of Abigail, so she just tells him to fuck off. I wish that they had gone with him because they would have been the first to find Effie because Josh is on the way to the party where Effie is, which we now will see is this bizarre sports bar sports club i'm not british so i don't know what a sports club is it looks like a country club kind of thing yeah i get the impression it's kind of like our vfw halls where like it'll be like a big space where like people rent it out and you can like throw parties there or whatever so we see where effie has ended up after being put in the van and josh is on his way there tony and sid have no idea where the hell they are so they're just aimlessly driving around This party scares the shit out of me. The building is just glowing bright red and Spencer has this terrifying line. He said, this is where the rich kids come to die. Have you been to something like this? I can honestly say this would scare me. (laughs) Scare you in what way? Like just the fact, like what scares you about it? I guess just it reminds me of being lost in frat houses and that is the scariest feeling to me. Yeah. I feel like I've been to places like this, but I feel like the way that the people that shot this episode did it, it's very on point for how it feels like in a party sometimes because things are moving, things are like bright. You're very disoriented. You're in a whole other world when you're in there. And it felt a lot like that. I feel like that was a good representation of it. But again, watching it over again, it's like a party of 10 people. And there's like all these like rooms and stuff and they're all like basically empty. It's a very sad party. (laughs) Like it's like played up to be this big rager and it looks very like, yeah, just creepy. Like Spencer says, this is where the rich kids come. And I think rich kid uh, parties are always sort of scary to me too. Just the fact that they can get away with doing anything basically. So Effie and Spencer are making out, stumbling into this room, the lights turn on, and Josh is there, very ominously. So we just cut away from that and are left wondering what's going to happen. I was wondering why Spencer and Josh are wearing basically identical outfits. Like, I know it was a style for the time, but it's, like, very uncanny how they both have, like, the big neon, like, hoodie, like, sunglasses, like, scarf situation. I was wondering if that was, like, a reference to something or something like that like what the intention was behind that to have them look almost identical right we don't really get much of an explanation about their relationship how they know each other or if they've been friends for a long time they seem to have communicated beforehand to set up this whole situation with Effie so I wish we had a little more backstory on that because I think it would have helped (laughs) yeah I guess maybe it's implied that they're like since drugs they all seem to bond over like drugs and parties and things like that maybe they know each other from like that like under underground scene underground behaviors they seem pretty scummy (laughs) right yeah and then Spencer calls Tony and tells him that they should go to this underpass area and Tony just 
of course will go along and do anything to find Effie. So he and Sid go and drive to this underpass. And then we go to the scene in the sports club where the guys are tying Effie's arm off and injecting her with some sort of drug. Not sure what. Now, what did you notice about this scene? <laughs> um, Bristol's best for... <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. I'm sorry. This is not a Bristol's best. Um, but I, I had that belt. I remember that era. I remember the neon green and white checkered belts. I remember... <laughs> Oh my god. Studded belts. That belt was just so like, wow. The sign of the times. For anyone who hasn't rewatched the episode recently, they tie her arm off with a very nostalgic green and white checkered, like scene kid belt. And it's just such an artifact of the times. <laughs> and then big part, big plot point, she speaks. Yes, this is the first time we hear Effie talk. Now, in the Reddit threads, I think the majority consensus is that this is a little bit cringy to watch back. <laughs> Which, Why is that? Just, it's like, I was born backwards, and everyone on Reddit tends to just be like, what does that mean? <laughs> but obviously, she's so fucked up, so you gotta give her some credit that she's just kind of talking yeah. nonsensically. What do you make of what she says here? I tried to look into a deeper meaning, but I don't know if there is one necessarily. Like, besides maybe her finally opening up or something or feeling like she's opening up, even though she's just speaking gibberish and then she passes out. Yeah, I always thought there was some deeper meaning too, but after years of trying to figure it out, like, I think it was just to kind of try to sound deep and show that Effie is very deep. Yeah, totally. <laughs> she's not like the other girls. She's very profound. She's different. She was born backwards. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, that's probably the best analysis, not looking into it too deeply. I love Effie, but some of her lines are kind of like fake deep. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, then we get to... Tony and Sid at this underpass that Spencer told them to go to, and Tony is just provoking the shit out of Sid, still just berating him, and Sid is angry. He's not going to take it anymore. He has no reason to let Tony walk all over him since Tony's been outcast from the group anyway, so Sid slaps him, and then Tony makes fun of him even more for slapping him. I feel bad for Sid in this part. Same. I feel like this reminded me a lot of a movie, like one of my favorite movies, Bully. It's a true crime story about like this guy who bullied all of these people in his friend group, treated them like shit, manipulated them, like abused them basically. And they all eventually like fought back and killed him or whatever. But it's like, I feel like this is something, this is all to say, I feel like this is something that does happen in toxic, like masculine relationships, you know? one person using the other person and the other person trying to fight back and then he's shut down told not to cry like it's just such a fucked up dynamic and then the next part where like Sid is like you know I used to look up to you it's like fuck that's so heavy like there's a really real connection between these two people and like Tony is just using this person as a fucking pawn as a puppet it's crazy 
I had a friend back in high school who was someone I got along with really well, spent a lot of time with, and then he just sort of became that toxic masculine person and started being really mean to all of us, including his childhood friends that he grew up with. And we all just tried to tell him, you're becoming a monster, basically like what Sid is telling Tony in this scene. You're not in control. You're not being funny anymore. You're taking it too far. And it's not funny anymore. It's not a joke anymore. It's so heartbreaking to watch a friend change for the worst so much in that way. Really, this scene impacted me a lot. And we see this like image of Effie in the underpass. So so he, um, he sees like Effie's faces on the wall and Sid drives off and um, someone on a motorcycle pulls up and um, Tony is like, you're one of them, aren't you? Which was just like, what does that mean? I think there is something going on there where it's like, there's like some crime shit going on with the kids or something like that. Like it's all part of like a bigger like gang or something like that. Maybe they're implying. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Not to ramble, but um, between that scene and this scene here, I just love how surreal everything is. Like how they balance like surreality and reality in the show. Like the person just driving up to take him off on the motorcycle. It feels a lot like being in high school almost and like going out and partying because things just happen and you just kind of go along with it. Like the fact that he keeps seeing Cassie everywhere and then she just shows up is just one of those charm things that I feel like just kind of happened like late nights in high school, you know, like am I alone in feeling that? I don't know. No, just definitely. I, yeah. I totally agree with you on that point. And it really brings that feeling of romanticization, I guess, of those nights where there is like a little bit of magic in the air or mystery. Not everything is so cut and dry as when you get to be an adult, you can sort of predict situations because you've seen it before. And you'll say, oh, I've been here before. I know what's going to happen or even with technology now, I mean, we literally know what everybody's doing all the time. So even back then, 2007, all we had were flip phones. You didn't know where all of your friends were all the time, what everyone was doing. There was no Instagram. Yeah. So there was so much more of a an air of mystery to Nights Out because you never knew who you were going to see or who was with who. Now we're so tapped in all the time to what people are doing that I think that's sort of a lost era. (laughs) Definitely, yeah. And I feel like, yeah, these moments in the show where it's like, you know, people can reach out via phone or text or whatever, like happens, but it's still just like these things just occur and things just come together in such a way that is all very, yeah, surreal. So Tony jumps on this guy's motorcycle, very little explanation, very surreal, The guy brings him to the sports club and Tony's outside. He tries calling Michelle, realizes that's really not going to help him. So he just kind of gives up on that. We're not sure what's going to happen, but at least Tony's reached where Effie is at the sports club. And then we cut to Sid at the diner where Cassie has famously been in past episodes. And Cassie meets up with Sid at the diner. This is where I give the Bristol's best award yes. because I, I am. Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> Unapologetic Cassie Stan. Dude, her hair is like 
a dream. It's so beautiful. Do you like, want to explain her, her outfit? Go for it. I don't. I don't have clear notes on her outfit besides okay. like the hair, the the beautiful ethereal like makeup and the fishnet gloves, which were another staple of my wardrobe in two thousand seven. Mm, um, yes. <laughs> yeah, I I noticed that. What else was she wearing? I was yeah. Uh, she had a gold dress on, sort of similar to the party episode in the very beginning of the season. I love Cassie in a gold dress, and then she has this fitted jacket top that's sparkly very forever 21 in 2009 energy um but it just looks so beautiful I just I love Cassie's looks I think she's the fashion I I know people are gonna want me to talk about Effie's fashion because people do love Effie's fashion I love Effie's fashion I don't think this episode is her best for outfits so I'll give her credit in due time she also has like two seasons to herself so we'll get there so I'm still riding the Cassie train <laughs> with this one. Dude, like, Effie brings out some bangers in season two. Like, you should definitely enjoy all the Cassie you can while we have her. Like, okay. Cassie exactly. is important. <laughs> so she and Sid have this very endearing conversation at the diner. This is just their endearing moments are so sweet and pure She's so happy that he's walked away from Tony for a minute and prioritized her. They kiss. It's their first kiss, Mm -hmm. I think. Pretty. Oh, she kissed him at the party early on, but I think it's their first official kiss. And yeah, it's very surreal and beautiful. It's very short-lived because Michelle calls Sid, which obviously makes Cassie pretty stressed out. Which you can see in her facial expressions. God bless the person who plays her because, wow, she looks pissed in that little second. Yeah, Hannah Murray is a wonderful actress and she really conveys that just your heart sinking into your stomach. They've just had their most touching moment together so far. And then he's getting a call from Michelle. And of course, Cassie doesn't know that things are really serious right now. Because she has no idea what's going on with Effie. So all she knows is that they just had this beautiful moment. And now Sid is leaving to go find Tony because Michelle called him. And it seems like everything's just sliding back to where they were. It's heartbreaking. I really feel for her. So Sid leaves. He goes to find Tony. Tony is at the party and finds the room that Effie's in. He's been searching for her in this labyrinth building. And Effie is just crumpled up in the corner, obviously overdosed on whatever drugs they gave her. And Tony is horrified. He's like, we got to call the ambulance. We got to get help for her. But uh, Spencer just breaks his phone in half, so he can't call for help. Yeah. And after that, he says what has to happen in order for Tony to be able to get Effie help. Josh and Spencer tell Tony that he has to fuck Effie for them to get her help. This is in retaliation for what Tony did, which was putting the naked photos of Abigail on Josh's phone. So they're getting their revenge. And Tony's getting a taste of his own medicine, honestly. Yeah. And Tony starts apologizing uh spencer it's spencer right or josh makes him beg to oh josh yeah 
Yeah, Josh makes him beg, uh, like, and apologize and beg him to allow him to get up. And Spencer and Josh just keep egging him on, telling him he better get hard. It's really fucked up. Yeah. I don't have any siblings, but I'm just like, the the empathy for the girls who are basically just the, like, pawns for the guys to have their power plays is also really disgusting. Definitely. Yeah, this is definitely a horrifying scene on several levels. However, yeah, we learned that they were just trying to get Tony all riled up and make him beg because they finally let them go. Right. So they do let Tony go after he's crying and apologizing. Sid shows up to the sports club and he finds Tony. Tony's like outside in his underwear, just in a total daze carrying Effie who is still passed out they get in the car Sid brings them to the hospital and Tony is in the back of Sid's car just you can finally see in his face he is traumatized as fuck from this experience and he realizes he fucked up he endangered his little sister's life just playing these stupid games with people Actions have consequences, and he's fucking feeling them now. They get to the hospital. Fortunately, Effie is okay. The doctor is so chipper, I was cracking up. Yeah. Pick up on that at all, or do you want me to just go into it? I I didn't really take much note of that, honestly. What did, what did you have to say about it? I was just laughing so hard, because in most medical shows or medical situations, this would be a very somber scene with Effie on the IV drips, but the doctor was just like, oh yeah, like, you know, the kids these days, they're fine, she's fine, she's doing good, she just took some uh, pharmaceuticals, and I was just laughing because it was just not somber or serious at all. <laughs> Yeah, Skins is amazing with comedic relief. <laughs> like, and I feel like that was a great moment for that. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, things are very damaged between Tony and his parents. Mm-hmm. We tie it back into the family dynamic again here. Yeah. Um, what was really interesting. Yeah, his parents completely call him out on his shit. They're like, you and your horrid little... Oh, you and your horrid little ways always at other people's expenses. Like, his parents know he's manipulating people. And they're finally calling him out on his shit. And, I mean, we'll see if he actually gets punished at all. Yeah, it's wild. It's very clear in that moment how much he loves Effie and how much his parents just, there's a disconnect, it feels, between, like, them and their kids. Yeah, you see that they are so much more aware of what Tony's doing than we ever were led on to believe. You would think that the parents had no idea, but it's shocking that they do know what he's doing and how he is, and they just let it slide. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of things we learn in this moment, too. Like, right after that, when Sid sticks up for Tony and is like, Sid says something to the dad, I forget what it is, and then his dad is like, I'm his fucking father, and Sid's like, I know what you are. What was that? Right. There's a lot of unspoken history, I think, that, again, I wish we could always have more insight into everybody's backstory, but from the little we've seen of Tony's dad, we know that he's not a good father, and Sid has been Tony's friend since childhood, so he's seen it all. 
there's clearly a lot of resentment there. I just had a moment. Yeah. Wait. Oh my God. In the beginning of the episode, there was the part about Aunt Mabel and they were in Effie's bedroom and the dad, like the mom started talking about role playing as Aunt Mabel. And then the dad was like, oh, she's not really um, an aunt. She's, she's more of a family friend. And then the mom is like, I know what she is. Is that a callback to that moment? That's a good point. Because like, I know, I feel like watching it again and yeah, really diving into it. It's like the father's being very sexually inappropriate. And it's like this whole theme for the night. And like at the dinner table, they're talking about Aunt Mabel. Like the dad's getting all flustered, pushing off his problems on the mom. The mom wants to appease him later on by doing like the role play or whatever like that. Like it's just all coming together. I know what you are. There's a lot of deep-seated resentments. Ah, dude. (laughs) Uh, At the end of the day, Tony finally apologizes to Sid. He finally takes some accountability for his actions. Do you feel like he's really learned his lesson? Do you feel like he really took it to heart? It's hard to believe. I'm, I'm someone who believes that Actions speak a lot louder than words, and it's easy to apologize, but you have to consistently change your behavior to show if you've really changed as a person, and so we have yet to see that from Tony. I mean, I'm going to be real with you. I read the situation a little bit differently. Like, when Tony was, like, he was, when he was, Tony said when he was scared, he wanted Sid there, and it's like you would not have said that two hours ago when you were fighting your friend. Like you, your friend said they looked up to you and Tony's using it. Like, I know, like, I know you fucking worship me. Like the dynamic there, like he goes from like devaluing Sid to putting him on this pedestal. Like, I just wanted you there. Like given Tony's prior behavior, I don't like that. Like that doesn't feel good to me. Like that feels very like ominous. That's a good point. You think that Tony might start sort of resenting Sid in a way possibly yeah or just like just using him continuing using him continuing playing his games I don't feel like he's necessarily learned a lesson like it feels like he has I feel like he's upset with himself about Effie but then it's like Sid is still his pawn right yeah it's It is a bit ominous, and I guess we'll just have to see what happens. The next episode, uh, episode nine, is the season finale. So we have reached almost the end of season one, which feels like it went by very quickly. And there will be so much to talk about next week. And I feel like we got to have a lot of conversation today, but obviously I could talk for like four more hours with you. (laughs) So... (laughs) I'd love to have you on again at some point in the future to talk even more. I am game. I'm here for that. I would love that so much. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) I always appreciate you listening. Check us out at Oh Wow the Podcast on Instagram as well as on the Reddit. And thank you again, Felicia, for being on today's episode. It's been wonderful. Thank you for having me. It was such a good time. And I can't wait until next time. Okay. Thanks. Bye.